Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. My name is Ashley Loblassengame, and I am your host. Today, we have a very special episode. A very special friend of mine, Randy, was in the booth. A native of Orange County, California, Randy grew up surfing, skateboarding, and slam dancing. After his parents' divorce, the heavy weight of anxiety and uncertainty fell and started increasing. At the age of 13, he gravitated towards the kids who were drinking and smoking pot, feeling the instant release from his constant anxiety. Having grown up with an alcoholic father, he thought it was the norm to drink daily. That same platform of drinking settled onto him and set him on a path of fear, attempting to fill the void and destruction. After finally coming to terms that alcohol was causing him tremendous problems, he found the 12-step program and started plugging into a place where he could learn to be authentic and heal from the destruction that alcohol had caused. Randy has been sober since February 22nd, 1994, and is deeply entrenched in the 12-step community. Randy would like to dedicate this podcast in memoriam to his friend, Billy Brown. So excited for you guys to hear my friend Randy. What an amazing person he is and his recovery. He is just on fire for recovery and always has been and has been a huge supporter and meaningful contributor to my recovery. So I'm super grateful. And episode 80, let's do this. Randy, thank you for being here in my booth. Thank you for inviting me. This is very exciting. Yes, it is. Randy, how long have you been sober? I just turned 26 years sober uh, a week and a half ago. 26 years sober. Mm. How does how does it feel taking 26? Because that's a long time. You know, it's really weird. It's really a strange thing. I, I, I'm one of these people that I don't really feel things a lot of times until uh, sometime afterwards. Right. You know, building up to it, I always minimize it. I never want to take my birthday. I just, I don't, I'll do it one time. But goodness, all this reluctance. And then the day comes and you don't throw me a party and I'm super butthurt about it. You know what I mean? And that's <laughs> right, just the thing. Right. <laughs> you, know, it's totally. like, you know, yes, I know I said I didn't want a party, but, you know. I lied. So I lied <laughs> to myself and to others, yes. which is a pattern with me. Right, but, right, um, right. So in any case, yeah, it feels great. I mean, it's uh, it's a, it's an astonishing turn of events that I ever got sober or knew that that was, you know, come to find out that, that was what I needed in order to even have a life. You know, it's, yeah. it's, you look back on it and you talk about the confusion of my life was just, I mean, it was just completely undoable and I had no way of knowing what it was going to take to make it, you know, some sort of um, life that worked, that was functional. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Where did you grow up? So I'm an Orange County native. I was born in Garden Grove. I lived here like four years, maybe five years. And then we moved down to Fallbrook in North San Diego County when it was a very, very country rural town. And uh, I lived there for eight years. Then I moved over to Encinitas, California, where I would say typically I would consider my hometown because I spent most of my time there. Yeah. In Encinitas, okay. Mm-hmm. And um, were your parents married? At one point. At one point? <laughs> yes. And uh, do you have siblings? I do have a younger brother, and I had an older brother, um, but he died at nine. My parents have been trying to conceive, 
and my mother had like seven miscarriages before this ball of wax came out. <laughs> and um, I know, but they had it in the interim time uh, adopted a child. Oh wow! And he he uh, died at nine years old when I oh was about gosh. four. So I I'd, I'd still consider my brother because of every. You know, that's just how I felt. Yeah. About it. I have a feeling about the guy, but I don't really remember him. You don't, yeah, okay. There were okay. three of us. Uh-huh. Yeah, but you don't remember. Like, it's, There's a lot to talk about if we really want to go down that. But in the, the short version is is that um, everybody I met who knew him that was older than me later in life that says, you know, I used to know your brother Gary, and he was just angelic. You know, there was something extremely special about him. And, and, um, and then the way he died, he was in the hospital in a coma for like six months or five months, whatever it was, I'm walking around at four years old trying to get some attention. And my mother was in there and he suddenly snapped out of his coma, sat straight up. And my mother asked him, oh, how are you doing, honey? And he goes, I'm walking through the flowers with Jesus. And he fell dead and died. And she hit the floor and the alarms went off. I just remember being in the hallway watching people running down the hallway towards the room. And my mom had fainted out or whatever the case was. And um, he had passed. So it was like super heavy. I mean, I think about that now and, and people who I've told that story to who knew him, and I've met like six, oddly enough, at very strange, strange like, occurrences. Yeah. Not, you know, and they say, yeah, I totally can believe that about him. So, yeah, so, kind of a, you know, kind of, you know, a heavy <laughs> beginning, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, so, early abandonment issues probably, you know. so Yeah, um, for sure. Right. So so with Gary, what did why was he in a coma? He had brain cancer. He had brain cancer. Yeah, okay, yeah. so you're so, but you, so you sort of remember him. Um, I, I do somehow. Yeah. Uh, oddly enough, as that is, is, is I do somehow. As you know, we're talking about this. I was just, you know, as I'm moving right now, and I was unpacking some things, and I found a picture of him, and on the back it said, "Dear mom, dear dad, I wish I could come home and play with you guys and all this stuff." And it was like, and I was just, I was in the garage. I found this, and I just fell apart. <laughs> I was like, wow. I mean, so. I don't know. How did it feel hearing from other people like that he was angelic? It was a compl- it was always a confirmation of what I originally sensed about him that right. I as I recall. Yeah. You know, so he he died and immediately into my life came my imaginary friend Bob the construction worker and him and I went on a tear and started chopping down trees and and, and you know just doing construction oh and gosh. he hung out for I mean I used to make my mom used to make him uh, make him a sandwich for lunch I'd look at her like okay I got my sandwich what about the guy next to me <laughs> she'd be like <laughs> she'd be like okay. okay so she'd set a plate there with two pieces of bread <laughs> yeah so he hung out for a few years and then I don't know somewhere or another I snapped oh, back into reality or something and, or some semblance of that and but. was your younger brother born yet? He was. He was only two years younger than me, but um, he's always been his own kind of character. You know, he's a uh, he's very talented guy and, uh, you know, suffers from different sorts of ailments. And my, I'm great. That's why I'm grateful to be an alcoholic. I can identify my problem. And, right. and from that, you know, get a lot of understanding about right. why I feel, think, and do the things that I do. And right. I don't know that he's really found that, but he's okay. Yeah. Where does he live? In Encinitas. In Encinitas. He's not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. And um, so what was, after your brother died, you know, it sounds like that was, your mom was in distress, naturally. Of course. And, and then the catalyst of, you know, oftentimes as we, you know, that I've noticed it was on heading towards a divorce. Right. And right. Yeah. But, and, you know, it seems like, and I'm, that when there's a sick child, 
there's no room, like as a, at least as a mother, like how is, how do you even have room for anything or anyone else, you know? Right. And, you know, that's interesting you say that. And now I've seen this um, in several instances with different sorts of personalities with that still ends a marriage. Right. In my case, my father was an alcoholic and I'm quite sure there was a bit of of self-centeredness unbeknownst to him right, right, at, right. or being or recognized as self-centeredness, right. but where's mine? Right. You know, okay. Right. We know that the child died, but you know, but we're like, not, we're not, together. I'm not getting what I need. Cause right. basically he's like me and I know what I'm drinking and using. You're, you know, if I'm not getting what I need, I'm going to bang on my high chair about it. And you know, I need a lot. I need a lot. Of, right. You know, right. Big wounds going on. Here, so. so, so you say your dad was an alcoholic. Yes. What did that look like in your house? Like, did you know that? And then, you know, uh, no, I can't, you know, he was, uh, he drank much like myself where, you know, we basically, and I was like him in this way that I, I, I managed to, I, I came in thinking I was a functioning alcoholic because I could usually keep a roof over my head a car and things of that nature, right. you know? So a, a lot of the world believes that that's a, you know, they believe that's a functioning alcoholic. I can right. keep the lights on. I can do this sort of thing. But, but every single day I'm setting my clock by when I can drink, you know, like, okay, work till three work till five. Now it's time to drink, you know? And so <laughs> my dad was much that way. So I never really knew much about that other than a few couple of times when I've seen him really drunk. But, but, you know, I didn't know about that until Pretty far into my sobriety, to be honest. Right. With you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That you grew up in this alcoholic mm-hmm. home. Mm-hmm. So your par- your parents split up, and was that you know some some kids their parents split up and like oh thank God you know like you get these oh, people no. away from each other, you know was you were you devastated? What uh, was, you know I'm already a guy who knows I'm going to be left somewhere. You know right. I just I inherently as a child clung to my mother's side when we go to sh- you know malls and things like that because I just knew I was going to get left. Right. You know, something, I don't know, there was some huge hollowness that that made me feel like I was going to be left. It was weird. And then um, when they split up, you know, and I, I've spoken to you about this before, where the pictures, if you look at me in third grade to fourth grade, in third grade, I'm, I got a little smile on my face. I'm, you know, very sweet and innocent looking. Fourth grade, I got like a Black Sabbath t-shirt on, hair's long, stringy, and I got this look on my face like I'm in distress. Yeah. And, and as an adult, I can look at that and see the profoundness of that of that that image, right. you know, and and what came with that. And surely that's when I you know was in pursuit to get high because I lived in Fallbrook at that time, and at that time Fallbrook was known as you know the marijuana. It was the Humboldt of Southern California. Right, right, right. So we were always in pursuit of marijuana to use and we, and we got it, you know? And so I started pretty young, not, not steadily, but I wanted to feel different than the way I felt. Let's put it that way. Yeah. How old were you when you first smoked? Oh God, nine. Yeah. And so did, did your dad stick around or was he, he, you know, he did what Randy would do, you know, he was in pursuit, right? you know, typically, um, uh, and it's a combination of things. It's, it's, you know, I always clung on to women who made things safe. Okay, we have a place together. We live together. I'm doing this idea of what I think is going to provide me happiness mm-hmm. <clears throat> that we see on television or whatever the case may be. I meet the girl. We move in together. We did, and that's what he did. He was in pursuit of you know, you know, probably probably so much of a sex addict like myself to a degree. You know, I don't know how bad that was, but I know that he dated a lot. Mm-hmm. And but he he was good to us. You know, he, I can't say that he ignored us or neglected us, you know. There were, the money was always a little short, but but all in all, he's a good guy. I yeah. like yeah, I like my dad. 
And um, so what did like you're using early days look like you're using? Oh, God, huffing gas. I mean, I mean, I I rode motorcycles, so I just take the cap off my gas tank in terms of like, you know, getting high chemically speaking, uh, you know, marijuana. There was, you know, in the house, every house I lived in, for some reason, there was always a freaking refrigerator in the garage filled with beer. So I could just go, I mean, there was 48, 50 beers in there. So right. I could pull two out and nobody would ever know the difference. Right. You know, so that's what I would do. I'd just pull out a can of beer, you know, at eight, nine, ten years old, whatever, and, you know, get a little buzz or whatever. And, you know, but not constantly. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But I did do it because I, I was afraid to be, get, get caught. <laughs> right, you know, right. You know, so. right, right. What did um, what did it do for you? What did alcohol do for you? Oh, well, it does like what it does for alcoholics, you know. Yeah. I'm instantly good looking and, you know, and charming and feel better and and grandiose and in full flight for reality. You yeah. know, I'm I'm having visions of grandeur about myself and my motorcycle riding or the, or as I switched into surfing more and and I just was able to breathe. The tension was gone. The fear was gone. I don't even know where this or, this organic fear that I grew up with inside of me, this pensiveness, this, this you know, this unsure feeling. Skin on I, too tight. I, I don't remember it not being there. Yeah. But until I drank. Yeah. 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 You know, you had one kind of profound, you know, situation that, that I, that comes to mind, at least for me, where you were pursued yeah. Um, you want to talk about that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess one of the first, like, in, you know, um, really scary things that happened to me that was real, <laughs> not <Yeah>. imagined, because <laughs> I, I can scare myself pretty quick, but um, was uh, I was out with my buddy and I had a little Yamaha 80 and I was a rope tied to a bicycle behind me and I was towing him around these hills and this guy pulled up and we thought it was the cops because we weren't supposed to ride there. And he pulled up and he had, I looked at him and he had his pants down towards his knees and he had like about a, a, a K-bar knife is what it was. It was a Marine K-bar knife, which is about an eight inch blade or something. And he looks at me and my friends and says, you guys ever jack off? And I'm like, uh, no, you know, we're not copping to it at this age. You know, that's all we're doing, but no, no. And he says, what well, are you going to do with me right now? And I, I literally went into shock. Yeah. Because I saw the knife and I picked up my motorcycle and I threw it at him and knocked him over enough to where we could run. And I just ran and just dove over this uh, fence into these people's backyard and said, there's a guy going to kill us and all this stuff. And um, they caught him and all this stuff. And later, you know, they called the police. And but I saw that guy everywhere. I went for two years. Yeah. Everywhere I went, I was I was traumatized like crazy. I was like. He's there. I saw that guy. I saw that guy. My dad used to say, you didn't see that guy. Honey. You didn't see him. I'm like, I saw him. And then the last day of seventh grade, I did see him. And he came through the school and was standing on the pegs of his motorcycle looking inside the buses in the roundabout where the buses go yeah, through. Yeah, yeah. And I saw him for sure. There's no doubt it was him. And because they didn't have helmet loss, so he didn't have a helmet on. I recognized him. So I got on the bus. I went home. I lived in La Costa at that time. Got off the bus, ran home. I came through the front door and I saw my dad's bar and I saw a bottle of scotch there. And I said, that'll help me calm down. And I took a big swig off of it, a big one. And then I got pissed. And then I went up into his room, grabbed his shotgun and went back towards the bus stop, hoping the guy had chased me down so I could kill this motherfucker and end my problems. Right. And the cops came up on me and they're like, son, put the gun down, put the gun down. I'm sitting there with a giant, it was a big long barrel, like duck gun or something. Oh my gosh. You know, and, I'm, you know, and so I set it down on the concrete, put my hands up and they're like, what are you doing? I said, oh, there's this guy and he's chasing me. And they're like, whoa, are you sure? I said, yeah, for sure. And anyways, long story short, they didn't arrest me or anything, but... But um, I talk about a different. You can't do that now. Oh no, no, yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it was a different, a different approach. Plus, I threw the gun. I threw it as soon as I saw him. I was like, oh, you know, so. 
and yeah, that was heavy, you know. And and so and it was very like you made that connection that alcohol was. Oh right, yeah, it was like I know that, and I didn't know how you know it was scotch, you know, and scotch and, and brown liquor for me. I drink brown liquor and I get eight hundred feet tall. So I mean, I was going to go kill him. Yeah, you know, what I mean, for real, total, no doubt about it. And you know. And I and I did meet up with that guy later on, and I felt a lot better after we met that day. But <laughs> I'll leave that alone. <laughs> what What did the rest of you know your your as you went into high school? Did it did things? You know, you know, um, I, I adapted pretty well to to living now over in Encinitas and stuff, and made friends. I was a standard, you know, skateboarder and surfer, and you know, uh, kind of run of the mill for that time and place, and and um, you know, uh, things were good. Things were good. Yeah, we had a stepfather that was, you know, my mom, you know, he he was a good guy. He wasn't a bad guy. But I just never felt settled. Yeah. I always felt unsettled, you know. Yeah. And then um, 1979, I was watching late night television after drinking a couple of those beers. And I saw the Ramones on TV. And it changed my life. That was it. I went in and cut my hair off in the bathroom. Because <laughs> there was a whole expose on punk rock on Don Kirstner's rock concert, it was called. And I was like, oh, my, because that was that sound was everything it gave me power and was everything i i just connected with it was going to take me forward with strength <laughs> i guess that's the way to put it and that from that on that was that was it i burned it down after that i didn't become a punk rocker at that time fully because there was no such thing around us you know what i mean but i was listening to the music you know and then later on as my friends started getting into it more i got into it with them and it just went buck wild what does what did that look like? Oh my god! I mean, you know, that's just you know the cliche is sex, drugs, and punk rock and roll or whatever. But I mean, it was just yeah. I mean, just high speed, low drag. I was fucking off the chain. You know, what I mean, I run away to L.A., get you know lost up there, walk from you know from the train station downtown into Hollywood to buy an album, and then walk all the way back, and and I was just missing. You know, and then I met the love of my life, uh, you know, who or at the time, you know, my first love. And and, sh- and it was just, I mean, we just ran crazy. And um, what happened, though, in that fun was I missed out on a lot of key lessons. One thing I did know was working. I did work because I was a horrible drug dealer. I would just, you know, buy something to sell and I'd do it all. And um but my development educationally, which I, I had a lot of interest in education, but I just couldn't make it there. I just couldn't make it. I couldn't get there, you know. And I'm I'm waking up in Orange County. I'm in, I'm in Huntington Beach at some dude's house, and over here with this girl over here. And it was just it was just a loss, like five and a half years, something like that, four years. I kind of got out of about 1983 or four. It felt like the invasion of like the mainstream came into it, and I was like, it lost its luster and 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 potency to me it was like you know let's you know take our led zeppelin's t-shirt cut off the sleeves and x out through led zeppelin and now i'm a punk rocker and it was like okay you're not sexy i'm leaving right (laughs) so like you wanted you wanted that like angry like that counterculture feeling and it just it was in the beginning was is was magic yeah i mean you know you ask anybody you know that we have friends my age that you know that was there and it was just, it was, excitement is not even close to the right word because every time you left the house, you were in danger. You were gonna be, there was constantly somebody gonna beat you up. You were running a lot from people, from cops, and 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 I mean, I got into a lot of fights and I got beat up plenty of times, even by guys I grew up with that, you know, 
you know, I remember one friend of mine, it was just like I came in one to school one morning, I was just hungover and as sick as I could be. And he had some issue with me and some shit written on the wall right there. And I was like, I don't even, I could have done it, but I don't remember it. And he just comes up and just, and he's, this guy's a badass guy. He went on to be a, a real badass and he just thumped me. You know what I mean? And it was just like, man, you're my friend. <laughs> right. supposed to beat me up. But yeah, things were just crazy. Why, yeah. what did you, um, what did you like about like, leaving your house and always feeling like in danger, like about the physical violence piece of it. Well, cause there was something attractive about that. There was a real fuck you going on is what it was. You know what I mean? It was a real fuck you. It was like, it was like, I'm ahead of the curve on this one. I'm right about this. This is the future. You're bullshit. You know, you know, there was like that. We used to clown guys. It's that one band, Boston six, Kansas Ford or journey and all that bullshit. It's like, I, I I'm ahead of you on this. And, and, and I'm just better than you, you know, because mm. I was just arrogant. You know, I mean, I just, I had to be, it was one extreme or the other. It's either I hated myself or I was, you know, and that's just, just the way I'm made up, not now so much because of perspective, but at that time, I didn't know what I was doing. I was being raised by a single mother. And I hit puberty, and I'm sorry, Mom, but I'm not even in control anymore. Right. You know, my hormones are, are driven towards procreation and chaos. Right. And that was my get down. That was my jam. That's what I did well. It turns out I'm pretty damn good at it. And then I learned to throw them, and it turns out I can fight. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, this all lasted until I started getting felonies, you know? And it was like, you know, um, you know, I, I did some stuff where I had to go do some stuff somewhere else. I don't really like to talk about that too much. But, but you know, um, at the end of the day, you know, my 20s, I pretty much just burn them down. The reason that it turns out to be on that is because it becomes braggadocious on my half and is perceived that way oftentimes. So basically, let's just take it from like at 19 years old, I'm out there, I'm getting in trouble, I'm getting felonies, there's consequences, and because of the consequences, I have to change my life substantially or else I'm gonna go to prison. And um, you know, there was a, a good gap of time there where essentially, I was completely out of control and and there was nothing anybody and there was no consequences to be suffered. So I could do whatever I wanted and that made things ex- exponentially worse. So um so let's say I'm back down in Encinitas now and I'm I'm really out of control with with my attitude. My drinking was always a thing where and my using where I used that to anesthetize my own self-created anxiety because of the way I lived. Now, I had no idea about this while I'm in it. Mm-hmm. I know this in retrospect. But the lifestyle I'm living, which is just pure intensity, you know, I was, I was that loud guy at times. You know, I was, but I was confrontational. I just, I just was probably not that fun to be around. That's what it had turned into. And that wasn't who I genuinely on my organic makeup was. I had evolved into that, and it turns out it's just a bunch of layers of fear. You know, and I was putting on, and as things go on and you create more chaos, you are now the the architect of your own adversity solely. Right. It's got nothing to do with the world around me. Right. I'm, I'm the sole creator of my own angst and, and anguish and anxiety. And so it requires more alcohol and drugs and sex and moving and movement. I couldn't, I was, you know, I was definitely a human, you know, doing, not a human being. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Just constantly in motion. Right. And how did you 
how, where did, how did you come to this place of like that you needed help? I mean, you've obviously. So, you know, what it was was, and I'm glad you asked it. That's a good way to put it because I, I didn't have any idea I needed help. I, what right. I had an idea is that you needed help and the world needed help. And, and everything exists outside of me is the issue. So what happens was, was you know, um, I'm, I'm noticing that there's a pattern where I smile at you, you smile at me, we go home, we have great sex, I move in. So <laughs> I'm doing this and we're, and we're doing this in this house, this is our jam and we're gonna make this thing work. Well, you know, a year into it, six months into it, seven months, whatever, they look at me and say, you're just too much or whatever, and uh, you're beat anyway. So I go on to the next one, and it's this revolving thing where, in my mind, in my heart, I was an altruistic guy who wanted to find somebody I could love and be with and just stay with and have a normal life, you know, in my mind. I don't have any idea what that is, but so I'm just, just burning them down, one after the other. And then finally, you know, through a bunch of a bunch of really quick things happening with, um, with law enforcement and um, one particular day when I was, you know, I was I was under the foot of a cop who was resting his his boot on my head. <laughs> um, I had a I guess a bright light moment. You know, I was laying on the highway and I just it came through my feet all the way a warm feeling through my body and it was not an appropriate response to the condi- the situation I was right. in <laughs> at all. Right. And it was like I will never drink or use again under any circumstances. No matter what happens, I will never, because what I realized was that I was a puppet on alcohol strings. And I don't know why that came to me, but I realized that's the whole problem. I'd been searching. I had tried different things. I'd read a lot of books. I'd had some, my mom had put me through a couple of these like uh, self-help checkout weekend things or whatever. Um, For her sake, I did. I loved my mother. And so I would do that for her. And it just didn't, nothing ever resonated, you know. And, but this moment the only way you know, that's how my life works. It's got to be grandiose and it's got to be, right, right, right. you know, profound. And then I pay attention and, um, that's what happened. And I haven't had a drink since now that didn't mean I went to AA, but I quit drinking and using everything. And so when you quit, you quit drinking, using everything after the boot on the head and what did, what did Randy without, without his medicine look like? Oh my God. Well, I didn't sleep. Literally, I tell people this, and they're like, oh, you know, that's physically impossible. You could have never done that. I didn't remember sleeping for almost a year. But I, I know for sure I didn't sleep for like like uh, 65 days for something. And and I don't know what that means. I tried to sleep. I laid down, and I would well, lay down for about five well, hours. Well, you know, spoiler alert, Randy and I dated, and we lived together briefly. And I can vouch for the fact that you are not a very good sleeper. No, yeah. You, yeah. like, literally pop yeah, up at yeah. four in the morning That's or three say, in the yeah. morning. Yeah, yeah. So I can— yeah. Poor I can, people sleep in and sleep when you die. That's what I say. You know what I mean? <laughs> you, <laughs> I'm not going to be a shitbag, so I'm going to sleep much. I'm going to sleep the minimum out, get back up, you get really, busy. You really do. It's really bizarre. Yeah, so— so you didn't sleep for sixty-five days. <laughs> I end up in the hospital down in my friend down. I uh, go. I finally go. I gotta go to the hospitals. I'm staying. You know the, the the old cliche. You know I, I get sober. I'm struck sober. When I went out the day I went out when I was struck sober before that I was living with a nice girl, and she told me if you leave with these guys and you go do what you're planning on doing, I will not be here when you get back. Well, I'm coming back with some large dollars, so she's gonna be there. 
I came back and the place was the most natalie vacuumed patterns. You know, oh, I remember in the in the, the patterns how they in, can get the, the triangles. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the place was empty and it was it was spotless. She had totally gone. So I ran down to mommy's house because that's what big boys do, and and I was staying there. And I finally went down to the hospital like sixty days into it. My mother knew something about all this because you know what was funny was her and that girl were going to Al Anon together. Like, why would they be going to Al-Anon? I have no idea why they'd be going to Al-Anon. I, I just, I didn't know what Al-Anon was, but I had nothing to do with me. You know what I mean? So, you know, and then she knew the situation. So uh, I go down to the hospital. And my friend's mom is the charge nurse. She comes and says, Randy, what are you doing in here? And I said, I quit drinking. I quit using drugs and I can't fucking sleep. <laughs> she was like, well, h- how much sleep are you getting? I said, zero. And she goes, that's impossible. I'm like, I know, but that's what's going on. And she wanted me to take some pills. And I just, you know, I'm like, eh, I'm not going to do it. So I went home and I know what I need. I need to go back to work. So I, I got a job building the House of Blues up in L.A., the one they've torn down now, but um, and moved up to Orange County, still not going to meetings. And I came up to Orange County. And Had the you morning, ever been? I checked it out. I took a 10-year chip, my first meeting I went to, so that I could meet this cute girl because I knew what I really needed was were my you, mommy. You know what I mean? It was were you a, 10 years sober? Hell no. I was oh. two days. Oh, I was, I was like, wait, what? Sober. Yeah. Yeah, I was like 90 you days sober. Well, I, saw, I went to the Hogue meeting, the speaker meeting, and I'm like, hmm, these people are taking chips, and then that kind of makes them look important. Hell, I'll take one, too. Oh. I'm like, any other 10 years, I get up there because there's this really good-looking girl in the front row, and I figure, well, I'll spit some profound shit. And and I'll I'll bag that, and that's going to definitely help my situation because right, right. that's what I that's need. The, that's the solution the, for a hundred percent. You know, we'll engage the sex addiction. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The sex and love. You know, so it didn't work. But not thereafter. I was getting off work, and I was coming home one night to Costa Mesa to my friend's house. I was staying at while I was building the house of blues. About ten p.m., I see a cute girl in the car next to me. I motioned for her to roll her window down. Those were roll, windows used to roll down. <laughs> And um, and there was no button to push. You're dating yourself. (laughs) Right, I did. And um, she did. And I said, hey, you want to go get something to eat? She goes, okay. So we're sitting there and we order. And now I'm the only human on the planet that doesn't drink in my mind. So I go, I'll have an iced tea. And I looked at her and I said, I don't drink. She goes, oh, neither do I. I'm six years sober. Well, Jesus just showed up. Here it is. There it is. There's the gift. The gift has arrived. You know what I mean? You're six years sober. I got 120 days, you know? And so Sorry. so I had her in the house uh, within like, you know, six six months we were married. She's Who's a, that? Who's her that? name was Claire. Claire. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Claire. Okay. Claire. So Claire's just as sweet as she can be. And, um, you know, and I'm a complete savage. She's like a, a meadow muffin, wheatgrass drinking, you know, sort of, you know, chick who manages a mother's market on 17th in Costa Mesa. Mm. I'm sleeping on ammo crates. She's looking for UFOs. It's not a fit. You know? <laughs> but, but she did teach me how to meditate. And she told me point blank, if you go to AA and if you work the steps, you will leave me. And I'm like, well, why would I go to AA? You know, I, I, I don't drink anymore. I thought AA was like a place where alcoholics were struggling to stop drinking, met, and like in the morning, they'd huddle up and be like, okay, okay, if you make it till 10, you call dude. And if you make it till, you know, 12, you call this guy, and we'll come back at 6 p.m. and see who's still standing. You know what I mean? Like, I had no idea. I was not getting it at all. So I'm like, no need for me to go there. But, you know, we're married a year now, and, you know, I'm an addict. You know what I mean? So I, my, I, I'm a more guy. You know, and um, she's great. She's super vanilla. I'm high speed, low drag. I need, I need something faster. So I, I keep driving by the old Canyon Club, and I'm like, hmm, there's some, there's some, uh, there's some talent in the front of that spot. There, so I'm gonna go check out an AA meeting. <laughs> 
So it was okay. And then I went then I went to a meeting there, a men's stag, and, I, and some guy said some inappropriate shit, so I busted a chair over his head, and I got kicked out of the old candy Wait, club. Wait, you're not going to tell them what he said? Oh, uh, so, well, basically there's this guy, and, and he's telling, he's sharing, and he's like, I contracted HIV in prison, but that's not going to stop me from fucking the first girl I can get my hands on. And I'm like, oh, hell no. So I grabbed the chair and just smashed the dude. I just took, In the middle I, of the yeah, meeting. I just I crushed his skull. I didn't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. These guys are all cupcakes and they're a bunch of fucking soft motherfuckers. Why did everybody else just dogpile? I mean, they, if they were any sort of man, they'd have rat-packed him. You'd stomp dude out and send him out the door. That's, that's how I think. I mean, I was still, I was still sick with it. <laughs> See, that sounds braggadocious. I don't mean for it, but that's how I felt at the time. I yeah. was switched on yep. all the time. I bounced, and about a year later, I stayed with a girl. And, you know, I thought maybe that's a safer idea. And so I, I go to the new club because I'm really tired of her now in this relationship. Which You mean your marriage? My marriage, yeah. <laughs> I know. They all found out I was married, too, after I got with the other one. So then I meet the next one, like first meeting. You know, it was just on. And... You know, I'm not mentioning her name either. <laughs> you know, does it her. start with an A? Yeah, it does. <laughs> we were just sick with it together, and I moved in with her, and and told the other one, "Oh, I went to AA, and I got this sponsor, and the sponsor, oh, my God, the sponsor is going out of town for nine days, and he'd like for me to house sit his house while he's gone, and it might be a good time for us to take some time apart to see how, you know, if this is worth pursuing any further like that." And I moved right in with the other girl. And so did the full bitch mood, total coward mood. And and then I ended up paying, you know, I, I gave her some money to get settled. She came from money. She's from Newport Heights, you know, rich family. But I was so wrong. That was one of my biggest amends. I mean, and we're to this day, we're good friends. And I'm actually helping her right With now. Claire. Yeah. Yeah. She's going through a, a real heavy thing. I'm not going to disclose, but she's probably short to the world at this point. But nonetheless, you know, of course, that didn't work out either, you know, because, you know, that. that just... But, but you know, something that's cool about that is that woman who you're talking about who, mm. like, you know. I'm cool with all of them. She's still in the program. Yeah. Like, she's still, you know, we, we all go to meetings oh, it together. Out, probably the best thing, it was probably the best thing that happened to both of us is, in fact, I know that it was because she flourished right after after I cheated on her. And went for the next one because I don't know any, I don't have any, any skills of breaking up. I have no idea how to say, you know, I love you. And um, there's a big blank spot. I need to go find out what it is and have a, you know, an adult conversation. I have no capacity for that. I don't even know how that starts. I'm a coward when it comes to that. You know what I mean? I can do other stuff, but I'm, with that, I have no, no skills. And so, and like you said, we're, we're all good now. Um, but, uh, you know, I just kept, and, but I had to learn to live alone. And that was the accumulation of that and the, the byproduct of all that mess was I ended up being alone for the first time in my life. Yeah. You know, where yeah. I lived alone. And then I got addicted to that and I was never going to be in a relationship again. So <laughs> it's the extremes. It's, right, you know, like love you, avoidance is what happens. You know, right. love, love, love addict, yeah, love yeah, avoidance. Yeah, yeah. You get into that cycle of right. like, this is the answer. You know, whatever the opposite is, is the answer, right? Like I remember <sighs> just being so upset like dating men and I'm like you know maybe I should just date women mm-hmm. like, maybe that's the answer right. like as you know like like just like anything but, anything yeah, yeah. but like I just I there's no it's not if I'm having trouble in relationships my thought is it's the other person's gender not 
maybe I have some problem. You know what I mean? Like, I just can't imagine that I, you know, that I have this huge piece Mm. in this. I just think that I'm attracting whatever it is or I'm going out and seeking. I'm kind of wondering now what it is I thought would be different. I don't really know. I don't really know that I had a, a a real identifiable type. I've never really met a type. I've never I've never really been in with mainstream girls. I've always liked you know punk rock girls. You know what I mean? I've liked I've liked um, despite what I look like and where I come from. My culture I grew up in is that I've always liked fast women. Like like you know I grew up watching way too many old Hollywood movies. Like I love women that smoke. You know, it's a total turn on to me, you know, and it's like, it's like, now I would have never told anybody that. Oh, no, no, no. That was like some, but, but, you know, that was like, I guess it was the punk rock era that kind of created that in me or whatever. And, and so many things that are, that people upon appearance looking at me would not maybe put on me. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've never been what I kind of look like. I kind of look like a meathead, not so much now, but at times in my life, you know, construction guy. You know what I mean? But at the same time, you know, I'm, you know, yeah, dying yeah. my hair fucking blue with a mohawk and, you know, putting a fishing leader through my ear, you know what I mean? Or whatever the case may be. So, so one of the things that is really like that I love about your story, which will, you know, sound funny at first, which is that you ran with, you know, the skinhead kind of crew for a long time, but that, that, but your exposure to Alcoholics Anonymous and like when, you know, it talks about like there's a thing like we are people that would not normally mix, right? Mm. And that they're... I devolved. Yeah. like Is what I did. I, in my disease as, you know, and I know this now from being sober, you know, and doing a lot of, you know, step work that, that I was a fear-based person. And as I grew older, the fear grew more, the drinking grew more, and it's a progressive thing. And so what happened, what that looks like is, is that is that it can take on a myriad of different images. And so my image was, and my and my de-evolution was, I was going towards all fear-based life. And with that comes, you know, at, at every generation, there's going to be probably an image associated with that. Yep. In my case, it was, you know, we were punk rockers and we were skinheads. And I was always more like a traditional skinhead. I, I mean, I, I was... Uh, just into like Sham 69, all the traditional skinhead bands that weren't political. And then I started getting political because I was in construction and I did definitely see with my own two eyes that that, that um, wages were being stymied by the, the reality of illegal immigration. Now, I, my first friend in life was named Hector at Ruvalcava. We're still friends on Facebook. You know what I mean? Like, so I was never, my, my mother and my father we're not having that in my house. I did not grow up that way. Yeah. And so I had turned into something I did not approve of. Right, right, right. So I'm going to Alcoholics Anonymous and there's all these, you know, you know, this was a time when it wasn't unusual. Well, and you for, were in Laguna Beach? In Laguna Beach. It wasn't even unusual for any guy to be like, you know, they call it homophobic, which to me implies fear. But to me, it was just like, you know, I was like, I mean, I was just kind of, I, I don't know how to perceive it. Right. It wasn't that I wasn't afraid of you. You just didn't want anything to do. But I just was just like, you know, I mean, that's a really, that's so far off my planet that I don't, I don't get it at all. Yeah. At all. And I don't want to fucking see it. And I don't want to hear about it. Well, guess what? You know, I just moved into the Castro district basically when I came to the Canyon Club because it was filled with gay people. And I would just sit there and just look at them just like, wow, you have no shame. Like you're not even trying to hide it. You're just out with it. And, and, and it was one of those guys that finally, 
finally made me laugh by just being him and being so over the top one morning saying something I couldn't remember what he t- said at all but I I listened to this guy and he was sober a long time and I and and he was entertaining so I started backing down on the on the on the it wasn't even hate it was just it was just a, a feel of prejudice yeah, yeah, right yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah thank you for that and um he he was a this it was guy. just like leave it alone dog that's your problem leave it at home you don't well, want to wear it on your sleeve this, but this guy was over the top he he was a gay cowboy oh, right yeah he was he was smoldering you know <laughs> and he was just uh, and he was awesome that way because but i looked at this guy and i'm just like this I, and then one day he made me laugh and i just had a complete psychic break I just gave up on myself. I, I'm so done carrying around this fucking image. That motherfucker over there is so money. I love that guy. He's awesome. He just made me laugh. And I'm just like, how do you not? Everybody laughed. The whole room came apart. Yeah. You know, there was just, it was like, you know what? I don't know, man. I don't know. And I guess that's the first big break for me was when I finally said to myself, I do not know. Oh, God, what a relief. Yeah. I don't know. You know, and they say it's, you know, it's what you learn after you know everything it's, that counts. Oh, man. You know what I mean? And that's oh, from my friend Earl. I got to give him the props on that. I don't I don't like to use other people's lines and not give the love. But this friend of mine, Earl, shares that, you know, it's it's what you learn after you know it all that counts. And that, and that was a day when my ears opened, you know, my, my head popped out of my ass. And I was just like, all right, let's see what these guys got. That's when I got a sponsor finally. And. You know, who yeah. was another contentious guy. He was in there, and I and I was talking about how my dad had to abandon us to chase country club women and all this stuff. But I didn't say women; I said another word. And and he shares after me and goes, "We don't swear, we share in here because there's ladies in here." And I looked, I yelled across the room. I said, "Don't!" I said, "Fuck!" I see a bunch of crackhead bitches in here. Is what I see. Oh, Fuck you. And so I saw him afterwards, and my I had one friend in AA, and she was a lesbian, which because we were totally good. I mean, like I get. I'd like chicks too. So we're tight. We're working on her house together. She was her name was Lisa, love her. And she just gra- and and also Tracy. There's two of them. Oh, I know too. Yeah, yeah. And they grab she grabs my arm and she goes, just make him your I told him that guy feels safe because he's in a crowd. I'm gonna have his ass after this meeting. I'm not gonna hit him, but I'm gonna fucking I'm gonna rip his balls off and you know, verbally strip him of his dignity. And she goes, No, you're not. Go make him your sponsor. And I go, oh, Are you daring me? She goes, I am. So I went out there and said, hey, you want to be my sponsor? And that guy put his chest, my his finger in my chest. It was like, you may be dangerous, but you ain't brave. And I go, what do you got? He goes, we're going to Is your house. Chuck? Right? Yeah, Chuck Strong. He goes, we're going to your house right now. And what are we going to do at my house? <laughs> and I'm like, what? And he went in there and he started looking at the books I was reading, throw them in the trash. I had like five pairs of Doc Martens that all had DNA on the toes. Throw all those pairs of boots away. What's 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 in the safe? I said firearms. Give me the keys. I gave the keys to my gun safe, which is like something way off the out of character for me. And just all this stuff. And he goes, go buy some normal clothes. And I don't even know what that means, but probably how I'm dressed, kind of like right now. And I was like, huh. So the next day, I was. How old were you? I was thirty-four. Okay. Five. Okay. And how old were you when you got sober? Thirty. Thirty. Okay. Yeah. And um, I remember going though the next morning to Starbucks in my normal clothes. And I walked up because normally when I walk up to a counter, people, if not them physically, their energy pulls back mm. because of the, the gravity and weight of my presence. I'm not saying that. To, I'm just no, saying no, no, it's, I, not, I, it's like ick. Yeah. You know, and I know now because I'm sensitive. To it, I can tell when so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so I said, hi, can I get a skinned vanilla latte? Whatever the fuck I wanted. And, <laughs> and she's like, good morning. Yes, absolutely. And she was all nice to me. And I was like, whoa. 
And then people are walking down the street and they're not like kind of, even if it's just the energy moving out of the way, I'm suddenly I'm just getting a different response immediately out of life. And I liked it. I liked it. So I, I went ahead and signed up for a and and did the program. You know? <laughs> and and Chuck, made a lot of mistakes after that too. <laughs> stay tuned to hear more in just a moment. Hi, it's Ashley, your beloved host. When I'm not hosting the Courage to Change a Recovery podcast, I'm running the recruiting department at Lion Rock Recovery. We are always looking for amazing licensed mental health counselors, along with various other sales and operations positions that pop up from time to time. The Lion Rock culture is one of collaboration, support, and flexibility. Our employees work from home offices all over the country, utilizing technology to connect to one another. We are always hiring. So if you want to have the best job ever, check out our open positions and apply at www.lionrockrecovery.com backslash about backslash careers. It is one of those things where, you know, your preconceived notions about, I think that's a huge thing in program, which is like for yours, for you, it was that. But like, you know, for me, I came in with other preconceived notions about everything and about for me, actually the biggest preconceived notions I had were around spirituality and religion and, mm-hmm. and that and like having a spiritual life. That was the biggest, mm-hmm. like I basically was like, cause I, you know, I went to sacred heart. So for eight years, <laughs> my dad's Jewish, my mom's Episcopalian. I went to sacred heart for eight years. So my biggest thing, right. Was my preconceived notions about that. Like if you were talking about God or you talking about whatever it was you believed, you were just like, I had no. That scared me. The, what, what it is, it scared me because I, I have always believed that I have to earn my way to heaven. And I knew how far off the beam I had become. But you believed in it. I, no, I don't know that I, I don't know what I did. I was scared of it. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I grew up, I was, I was, I was put in front of a congregation as a child and the guy grabbed my nose and shoved my head underwater. They call it baptism. And I was like, okay. And then they stood me up in front of the church and said, do you have anything to say? And I'm like, <laughs> Help! I mean, like, yeah. you know, like, like, <laughs> Link I, twice. Okay, what just happened here? I mean, like, okay, like I'm not. This is terrifying. I don't. I, I need a beer. Yeah, is what it is. You know, and I'm like in third grade, but I yeah. need a beer. And so, but but I've always been afraid that I'm not going to be good enough for heaven. And as in my drinking years and going forward, and and you know, I'm very scared of what the potential outcome could be. The point is, is that the whole thing's freaked me out because you know you're not doing it right because the way you're doing it is is you're still going to hell. But I'm not really consciously thinking that. I'm just kind of feeling that. Uh, but um, uh, eventually I stopped caring what you were doing and just took care of my own self, you know what I mean, and, and was okay. But my, I was thinking about your, you were talking about your prejudices. I had so many, you know. I had, if I, if I, pre- I judged you by the way you dressed, you know. If you, if, you were, if you were a nice guy, you're a sucker. You know, you could be nice enough, but you better be ready to go. At all times, I was always armed. You know, and I don't mean armed by, by, by firearm or knife or anything. I just mean armed waiting yeah. for you to try to get over on me. And then I have to do something. You know what I mean? And were you surprised? I mean, you know, in your, in your program community, were you surprised that they, or was there something about like a lot of people like they, they've been kicked out of every place they've ever gone, right? Over and over and over again. And like... And I tried to. I tried to and get they, into that. Right. And, and people just never, like, they told you what they I thought. I had about five. I had about five people. I had about five or six people that 
were outwardly supportive and would say, hey, man, you know, keep him back, whatever the case yeah, would be. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they were outwardly supportive. Others may have been silently, but I know because of actions that I took inside the room, you know, with relationships and, and hurting people's feelings and, and not being remotely afraid to, to tell you to go fuck yourself, um, that I, I also scared a lot of people, yeah. um, you know, and I know that, um, there was certain elements that, that if I shared, which I shared every day and it was crude and sketchy, I mean, they would get up and walk out whole tables would of, of, especially of this one woman's group. And she knew I'll name her. Her name's Kiki factor. She's, she was, she was a absolute leader in her and her time in AA in Laguna Beach in her faction in any case. And uh, she was a somebody, let's put it that way. And she judged the hell out of me for being a, the dog I was, you know what I mean? And um, not wanting to be a dog, I was trying to find the right woman to settle down with, but I had to peel through a lot of them to figure it out. And and it wasn't that I was trying to be, and I'm not a player guy and all that old bullshit. I sincerely went into every relationship I've ever been in thinking, okay, this would be nice if this was the last one. But she didn't know that about me at all. Right. Nobody did. Well, and it's from the outside. I mean, I've, no, I've known you a long time. And yeah. from the outside, that was not the portrayal. You know? Right. That was not the portrayal. I know that to be true. Right. But that was not that was not the portrayal. In fact, you know, one of the things that happened, like, when, when we started dating, you know, originally when I approached you, like, that, I, that was not, I bought into, like, all of what you were portraying, which was, like, you know, dangerous and not emotionally available. And so I'm no longer attractive to, to you. <laughs> well, that's good because I like your husband. So, but but it's true. I mean, it's like it's it's true. I mean, and and I, and that's definitely a real thing about me. I'm still that way. I'm still I I, I still I still even in work and everywhere else. I, I'm I'm um you know I guess I do it right, but I I'm definitely God. How do you say this appropriately? I don't you know I I I, I can go off. And I don't think I don't find it. I don't find it in contrast with my recovery either. I'm I stand for something. I do stand for something. Well, you know, I think it's more like in a healthy way. But you I, know, I think it's well. I think it's much. I mean, I think it's it's now nowadays your recovery is clear. At least knowing you, your recovery is clear. I think mm. what it is is that you are um, passionate and intense about how you feel, and that you will say what you think. And I think right, that's what it. That, I think that's what it is. Because here's the thing: other what I've seen over the course of the years is when you say your truth, or when you say things that are controversial, or <laughs> things where things that you know make us all like. Everybody was thinking that, but we didn't say it. Oh, my uh, God. You know. I appreciate that. I've heard yeah. that before. Yeah, like we were all thinking it. We just but didn't. But that's the punk rocker in me. That's right. that's, that's where I right. learned as a kid that, that you know, be your truth. You know what I mean? And I don't know. I I can't not do that because, oh. be, well, <laughs> no. because the reason being is because authenticity is so attractive to me in, in people. And even if I don't agree with you, even if I don't like you, but you're your authentic self. And you and it doesn't mean that you're outrageous yeah. with it. It doesn't mean no, that I you're. No, I completely agree with you. You know what I'm saying? One hundred percent. There are people in the program, you know, who I what I love about. I don't like who it is. Like right. it's not my cup of tea. But there's that's so who they are. It's yeah. not a put on. Yeah. That I love them for that for yeah. their for their authenticity. And, and it's changed so much. You got to understand the other thing about the the whole thing is is it's changed so much with the. With the, um, especially in Laguna Beach at the Canyon Club, 
I mean, it was not, it was, it was 27, 30 people in the morning meeting, and now it's 100 or more. A lot of them from sober livings and whatnot. A lot of them from, there wasn't as many out-of-towners. I mean, you know, it's always been the case in California, which is interesting, that natives move out and others move in to fill the space, uh-huh. you know, which is kind of interesting. But but it's just so many more people now. And, and meetings have gotten a very, um, they've gotten way away from what I was raised in AA, which was like, you read something out of the book and you speak on that topic and you don't speak off that topic. And if you haven't worked the steps, you might, you know, you, you can share, but like, you know, just don't, don't come in and try to tell because, you know, people now it's like, um, there's, and you can't blame them for it because they don't know any different because AA doesn't have at least where I go or was going forever. Um, it's changed a lot. And so, I mean, it's good because I think those sober limits are like our little greenhouses. You know what I mean? They're filled with, you know, right people to sponsor, and I'm down with it. You know what I mean? But um, it's it's uh, it's a big deal now. It's a different world. That's yeah. all. It's definitely a different world. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's a different world from even when I, you know, got sober. What are some of the big things that you've struggled with in your sobriety where that you've overcome? Like, you, you did get married again and, you know, thought— she was the love of your life that didn't work out. And th- th- I don't know if I ever thought that about her, to be honest with you, but we had good sex and we, and we <laughs> have good friends and, um, and we were, and I, and I loved her. I still loved the, my thing is, is I love for the right reasons. And I, and I, and I, and I'm proud of myself about that. I love in people stuff that maybe people, other people don't, you know what I mean? And God bless her. I mean, it wasn't, uh, it was that it was that it was part of my growing and my growing has got to a lot to do with, with, um, you know, I've always mistaken lust for love. It's so hard for me to define and, 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 and parse out what is and what isn't, you know. It's, so it's an evolutionary process. And with that, there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of chemistry and a lot of good times and a lot of having fun. And it was da-da-da-da, and this is how it's supposed to be. And then it's not. It doesn't, it doesn't hold the long view. It just doesn't, it doesn't, you know, sustain, in my experience. Maybe for others, that's how it is. You know, but um, yeah, so that ended and that also ended at a time when my mother had just died, when the real estate market crashed and I was heavily invested in it. My life totally fell apart in 90 days and I started going to the endless summer meeting and I spoke there one night and I remember when people were thanking me, there was a very attractive girl in glasses and like a little vest or a suit jacket and pants who thanked me at first speaking and I was like, I remembered her, but then others came, and and um, that was you. <laughs> and then you called me the next day and invited me over, <laughs> and um, it was just. Uh, and then I, I think we, I think I moved in like <laughs> like sixty days. Oh, if, so, so, that, if, if that, that, yeah, no, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. And it wasn't that you you moved in piecemeal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. First, oh, I think tattoo came. Yeah. <laughs> like, she comes with a freaking so, Rottweiler. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, I got yeah. a Chihuahua. Yeah, you have a Chihuahua. Yeah, yeah. Oh God, so. that was so funny. We would we would hear. You know, I they thought the Chihuahua was hers and the Rottweiler yeah, was mine. Yeah. Oh God, that was so funny. We would walk around in Laguna Beach, uh-huh. and uh, yeah, and you know, it was it was an interesting like we had we had a lot of the same issues, but I had I was progressed further in in my love addiction sex addiction yeah like recovery than you were just in the sense of like the relationship piece I, I had no way to distinguish I had no way to uh know what was love or what wasn't I had just no way to know I, I know that you know um I just I didn't know anything I knew nothing to be honest with you and you taught me a whole heck of a lot 
you know, by, you know, like, you know, some of the things you said but, uh, that you went through in your recovery with that process. And, um, you know, the most profound one was, you know, you love below the belt. And I was just like, what? <laughs> that really kind of hurt my feelings because it seemed very shallow when my feelings were very real. Oh, you know? <laughs> you had a lot of feelings. God damn. You know, <laughs> it's just like, you know, you're doing your best life. I've always been an altruistic person who wanted to do my best. And to see how far I got away from doing my best is almost embarrassing. But, you know, um, everything happens for a reason. And and you definitely made a huge impact on me. And that's why, you know, when that when that came time to end, you know, when you said, well, when we meet my parents, and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> There's no fucking way I can meet your parents. They will kill. Do they know how old I am? Because I didn't. This is you did this. Yeah, yeah it's my fault. <laughs> it's your fault. It was and my it was fault. Like, and it was like, and then well, I, I was twenty, and you were. I was probably like um, in your mid forties. Was I? Yeah, yeah, forty two, forty three. Yeah, 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 yeah. Something like yeah, that. Early 40s. And I was just like, I was like. And, and I remember. But the thing is about you, Ashley, is that you're you are a timeless person. There, there is no you are timeless. You are, you are absolute. I know. And you even told me one time. Yes, I'm intelligent, but I'm also 20. And and there, that made some sense to me emotionally speaking or whatever. But the but that's still not the truth. The truth of the matter is is that you are in in intellect far beyond your years. I think you're a lot smarter than your father, Pete. How you doing, Pete? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But 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 I don't know about that. No, he's not. He's a very smart guy. I love listening. I like what he's what I hear him say and write. But um but you know he you know you you are are, are when I think of you, I think of timeless. I really do. I, I see you, you being able to have fit in any time in in history that I can think of as a strong woman. Like you do strong woman right. You know what I mean? Like, I've always respected that. You don't do strong women with assertion. I'm a strong woman, and I must repeat it every time. I'm very important, and I make a lot of money. <laughs> you, know, and, you know, and you don't do strong women as, like, you know, um, like in, a, in a, any sort of uh, sense of, like, um, you know, having a, this tough exterior. You just do it. You don't talk about it. You be about it. And that's and I knew that very quickly about you. And I respected that. I've always, regardless of what happened, it does that doesn't even matter. We could have been friends or whatever. You know, what right, I mean? so. right. Well, and and I remember we talked about. I was like, no, we can be friends. And you were like, what? Yeah. I'm like, no, yeah. really, we could be friends. It'll be totally fine. Like, well, I was in a vulnerable spot. I mean, I was, yeah. I mean, your I, mom I, had just I, passed away. Yeah. I mean, I, within 90 days, what happened was my mom came up on 2006 Thanksgiving. She says I have cancer. I got about six months to live. I own two pieces of real estate with her. She went home that night and died. I went down to her house to see what was I to see, and she had been sicker longer than she let on, and things were in great disarray. I tried to get it all together. I remodeled these houses using a credit card uh, because I had good credit. I had everything going on real good. I remodeled these two places. The real estate crisis hit. I was this guy in um, November, and by April, I was at 540 credit and 30 grand in debt on credit cards. And just going, okay, what the fuck just happened? I couldn't even feel. Yeah. I couldn't even feel until I met you. I mean, I could not feel. It was like girls would be like, oh, you say you're sitting now. You want to go get a cup of coffee or something? Do you want to fuck before we break up or just break up right now? Because I got nothing. <laughs> That's exactly how I felt. And they were yeah. like, why are you so nonchalant? And I said, because it doesn't, what the fuck are you going to do for me? You got a hundred grand you want to adopt? It wouldn't even matter. I couldn't feel. It was the strangest place I'd ever been in my life. I don't ever want to go there. I could not feel. I'd look at my dog and I couldn't feel. I couldn't feel. Right, because the pain was... I, I yeah. don't even know if, how, how to describe it as pain. I just felt numb. 
Yeah, yeah, but that's what that's what happens to us when the pain. So it's like shock, right? Yeah, right. The yeah. pain gets so <laughs> I'm bad. Familiar with shock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the pain gets so bad that there's like n- there's nothing you can do. I mean, one thing that's cool about like I have had <laughs> the message carried to me in in um, I've had the message carried to me in by certain people in strange ways. Right, right. And and you know I have I had a few sponsors and. It early on, and and I I worked with a couple of men early on, and you know sponsorship kind of deal, and and I just could hear the message the way and when I could hear it, and there was sure. I didn't really have a lot of control over that, and one of the things that you said to me, which you know some people disagree with, but has saved my ass in um, several like really serious situations, was that we you told me Ashley we're in the no matter what club, we don't drink no matter what, and. I don't know why. I mean, that's, I don't know why that was so profound for me or like, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, I, I'd been in and out of recovery for, for, you know, a long time. I was sober a long time, but there like this, I think it was like the passion. It was like, we're in this club and this is what we do. It just doesn't matter what happens because life is going to happen. And there've been so many times where like, I really, really needed to be you know, some sort of numb, <laughs> like I needed mm-hmm. some oh, yeah. sort of anesthesia. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I just like, there was something that, you know, kind of like you, like there's some, some message that's said by the right person at the right time. And that just barbs in you. And I was in the mm. no matter what club and mm. we don't drink no matter what. And mm. that's just the way it is. And see, my brain is so extreme black and white that like when something's just the way it is, like I'll just hold on to that. For me, when they say, um, when I heard, I heard that. I didn't coin that phrase. I've heard people say, "Oh, I'm, well, Randy says that." No, I heard that from guys like uh, Lonnie Doherty, uh, Mark Brock, old timers at the Bullet in the Head Men Stack. I got it from them, and we don't drink no matter what. And what that means really is, it's not a, it's not a willpower thing. Somebody no, knobs definitely like, not a willpower. Eh, it's an ego thing, and it's, a, it's not that fucking that. We don't fucking drink no matter what because you know it's a deceit. It's it's a deception. Alcohol is not ever going to fucking fix it. You might as well just go drink a quart of fucking motor oil because you're going to the hospital, period. There's the, how, I mean, I don't know. For some people, maybe going to AA is not like a, you know, it's like, oh, it's just a whatever. For me, it was shocking. I'm, I'm in a potential mental institution here. You know what I mean? Things are really fucked up if you're an Alcoholics Anonymous. You better fucking pay attention or you're going to fucking die. That's how intense I was about it. You know? I, I got to Alcoholics Anonymous and was like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. Yeah. I'm going to die. This is really serious. And they were like, work the steps. And they showed me the steps. And I was like, no, no, no. Yeah. I'm going to die. <laughs> I, have a, I have a heroin, cocaine, yeah. and alcohol problem alongside like a whole list of other ones. And you're handing me some steps? Yeah, yeah. Like, you guys do not understand the gravity <laughs> of, the of what we're talking about. Yeah. And... Even worse, it was the last house on the block because I'd done everything else. Mm-hmm. So not only I was like, well, I am I am going to die. Like, I, I'm going to die. I should just resign myself to that because not only had I been to the most expensive, the least expensive, the this, the that, the psych ward, the halfway house, the quarterway house, the lockdown, the juvenile lockdown, like all the different things, right? The 30-day luxury, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, I still got loaded. I still got loaded. Mm-hmm. And... I walked in was like, okay, this is my last shot. This is the last time I'm going to do this. And then, and then I'm done. I'm done trying this because it's just too much. And they, I was presented with, you know, what you're presented with. And it's like, oh, you guys do not understand how serious this is. And I just continued to be amazed, you know, watching you do the work, watching you go through, 
you know, go through the thing, like watching, you know, you, you lose your mom, watching you put your life back together, watching the relationships that you've been in and learning to love yourself and like what you want and watching you figure out how to be in a relationship where passion isn't the only thing. And, and, you know, we've had conversations for or redefined, you know, redefined. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because, you know, what I used to see as passion was basically a, a dopamine shot Right, is really what it was. It right. was, it was, it was like, you know, um, Ooh, it's, it's dopamine, you know, or it's uh, using. You know, so the, 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 they call the, the French, I think it is, and I don't know this, but don't hold me to it, but they used to say the orgasm is, means the little death. Right, right, right. Because, because it's a shot, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a shot of dopamine. Yeah. And I attribute that to being in love. I attribute that, that chemistry right. that, that, you know, where I want to suck your face off your fucking skull because I'm just <laughs> so insane with it. You know what I mean? And just, you know, I go fucking wild, man. You know, so it's like, you know, I, I, I just think that. That's 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 it. That's that's the jam. Well, you know, fast forward to you know the, that just the you know, same thing. I just keep doing the fifty yard dash in a forty yard room. There she is. Oh, you know, you got kind of red hair. You know, what redheads are about right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with that program. Let's get with that. And how many times have I failed with a redhead? Every fucking time. You know what <laughs> I mean? Said nothing about them. Says everything about me. You know. But the point is, is I keep repeating and keep repeating. But I don't drink no matter what because I know this much. I know that I used to suffer gravely from a broken relationship that had only lasted 60, maybe 90 days. I mean, suffer. And I would write songs about it for two years and and and, re, and have you, not euphoric, but, but you know, recall on it. And, and it would hit me. And, and I just never, things just didn't change really. Well, I learned one thing when I got sober. This too shall pass. It always fucking passes. It might not happen fast enough. It might not happen at once. It, but over time, the intensity of the pain is very real. Mm-hmm. But it's shorter lived. Mm-hmm. And I like that. Yeah. I like a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And some processes take longer. I got in a motorcycle accident in 2017, as you well know. It's now 2020. And and it was a very long process. I went, you know, in physical therapy five days a week for two years. I lost the use of my, you know, some parts of my body to the hot, you know, I'm 90%, but well, you lost I lost a my finger and all this whole kind of stuff. You- so I got into a bad motorcycle in accident in 2017. And, um, you know, um, the resilience thing. So I'm in the hospital. I wake up the first day. Well, so wait, someone hits you. Yeah, pulled out in front of me. Tip, the typical motorcycle accident. Somebody took a left turn in front of me. Yeah. You know, I'm doing 35 miles an hour, No, you know, just cruising down the canyon road and bing, bing. Next thing I know, I'm in an ambulance, you know, and um, in no pain because I wanted to complete shock. Got in the hospital and they put me right on the gas and like my friends are visiting me. I'm like, oh yeah, broken arm, broken leg. No big deal. Shit. I'll be out in a couple weeks, whatever, Max. And they're looking at me like, yeah, I don't think so. So I wake up the next day, and my boss is there to visit me at the time. And he's looking at me, and, and I'm going, don't even trip. I got this. I got a broken arm, broken leg. Nothing to see here. You know, fucking woo-woo. I'll be out and ready to go. And he's like, okay, glad you're good. Well, I didn't know that it was substantially worse because they had me on a Dilaudid drip. And oh, I go, okay. Don't so, even say that to me. So, I'm going to like, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to pass. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Oh. I thought opiates Had you were, ever not done? Oh, I've never done anything like that. Dilaudid is like, no, yeah. oh, yeah, so God's gift. I'm like, um, <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it was I can't, in, you can't even say Dilaudid I mean, me. it's just crazy because I had all this energy. So I thought, you know, dopers, you know, their opiate users always just passed out like I see in the movies, you know. 
But the reality was I was just ready to just jump out of bed and bounce, you know. So I told the doctor, I said, hey, man, what do you got me on right now? And he goes, Dilaudid. I said, okay, let's, let's, let's take that down. I don't need this much. So the next day I did three Percocets. And then I said, okay, I don't need that either. So let's, let's knock it down because the whole time I'm thinking of one thing. I want to be able to take a shit because I've heard <laughs> that you get fucking constipated oh, yeah. on these fucking things. Oh, yeah. And I ain't with the program where you constipate oh. in the hospital oh. and the fucking nurse has to come in there and dig the shit out of your ass. Uh-huh. I ain't with it. I'm oh. not with it. I'm kinky, but I ain't with the shit program <laughs> at all. I got none of that in me. <laughs> so program. the next, the third day was, okay, I don't need that either. He gave me two Vicodin that day. Oof. The fourth day, I did two Tylenol codeines, and on the day five, I was on extra sleep Tylenol. And they're like, no, you can't do your pain management chart says you need to stay in front of the pain. I said, bro, me standing in front of the pain is going to meet me trying to fuck your wife. Okay. <laughs> That's how this all works out. Just so you know. And he looked at me like, how could you talk to me oh like that? God. I'm just like, you, know you don't funny? know me, dog. Yeah. I'll go off. Oh, I will go off. God. I, especially because I've never done these drugs. And now knowing how they are yeah. is not good. So I just, I need to just get on this Tylenol program. And they all kept thinking, oh, you know, he's trying to play tough guy. I wasn't trying to play tough guy. I'm surviving. Yeah, try not to play dead guy. I'm playing dead guy. And plus, I need to go boo-boo. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not with this constipated program. Well, and and you ended up, um, you ended up being a lot more injured than you oh yeah than yeah, you thought yeah, i mean yeah you, like, I'd like i had one like of your arms 14. is now shorter than the other you basically can't... yeah I, this one's got two big metal braces and i got metal how here. many I got metal surgeries metal. did you have i had a 12 i think it's, I think it's been 14 now and it wasn't your motorcycle you had rented it for the day right? well i was test driving bikes i was trying different oh, okay, ones okay. yeah 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 so yeah well, that i was test that driving question. different bikes and and you know seeing what i might want to possibly purchase i've been riding all my life but, you know but uh, it's a different world on the street out there now like I said, I wasn't doing anything wrong, you know what I mean? And and even the lady, uh, given that, uh, that that I know I've gone and stood in the driveway that she was pulling out of, I was at the apex of the turn. She couldn't see me coming either. Yeah. You know, so it was just a fluke thing. It was meant to happen, and I don't know what for, maybe to right-size me. And, you know, all these things that have happened to me in my recovery, uh, you know, in, in retrospect, seemingly really bad things have always turned out to be good. And mm-hmm. that is the truth. Yeah. It, that is, it is the truth. It is the truth. You can't see, you can't connect the dots going no, forward. It makes but no man, sense. It's tragic. It can't. You lose two people in a week. You might lose your parents. I mean, I lost my mom. I was sitting in the morning, my morning AA meeting. I got a text. She's dead. You know? And it's like, it's like these things are just, are just in, I could have never dealt with this drinking and using. When my father died, I was 21 years old. And I'll shout out to her for my friend Denise. My brother came and told me I was, I came out of the water from surfing at Swami's in Encinitas. I came up on the stairs and my brother's standing there and he goes, dad died. My friend looked at me and said, let's go drink. And he took me to this restaurant in my town that my friend Denise's family owned. And we drank like 20 pitchers of beer. And then my friend told my friend Denise, we're drinking like this because she's looking at us like, you guys are just, I mean, we were just plowed. I mean, we literally drank that many beers. I mean, I could drink, I could put beer away. And she says, and he told her, oh, Randy's dad died and all of a sudden she's all right, it's on me. And she tore the check up. And Denise is now sober. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, but she's it, just yeah. a gem. I mean, she's always been an exceptionally sweet woman. I've loved her since high school, even from afar. We were never that close, but yeah. you know, I lived in a small town, so we all kind of knew each other. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, uh, you know, I mean, that's how I handled that. My mother died. I said, you know, I had to deal with this. And then I, and I called off the marriage, you know, she thinks I've, you know, I got this weird thing I do. I always let them feel like they're breaking up with me, you know, because I don't, 
want to be the guy. I would rather them do it. So the skill, you know. I set yeah. this. I set up these scenarios where it looks like you know, like I might stop talking to them or right, right, right. Like, being physically yeah. intimate with them or something, you know. And then it and, ends. And then yeah, make them hate me or whatever. Well, what's what's, <laughs> what's up with that? You have uh, <laughs> you. You're not now. I can now. I can talk, but. But for a long time, I couldn't. I just couldn't do it. Now you're in a relationship with an amazing woman. Oh, yeah. Um, Wait. And uh, how long have you guys been together? Almost like five years. Yeah, yeah. It's been a while. Yeah. And, um, and she, you know, one of the, I, I remember, you know, I've watched you over the years have a lot of different girlfriends and whatever. You know, just, uh, no, <laughs> you know, some of them weren't. weren't. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember going into the hospital, and I brought the. I don't know if you remember when I came sure, in with the yes, twins, of course. and uh, and I just started crying because it's seeing you there and yeah. whatever. And I remember thinking, like, I'm so glad that he has Laura. Like, I'm yeah. so glad that he has Laura. I and, am so glad I have everybody that yeah. I have. Yeah, you know what's it? I have a fucking. You know, I could start crying about it right now, but I have people like my friend Allison Horde who I just adore. Yeah. And I and, and on top of all of them and top of everybody is Laura. Laura is an exceptional person. I always knew that anyways. I've known her. I knew her for 10 years before we got together. Laura wasn't going to be the guy. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm Laura a, was not. I mean, when you start yeah, dating Laura, I was like, oh, for the love of God. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like, like it's just like, stop trying. Yeah. 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 Stop, <laughs> be nice to her. Yeah. You know, everybody was like. You better not fucking hurt her. Yeah. I'm like, I would never hurt her. I, I, I've loved Laura from afar as a person for years. Yeah. Then to get to know her the way I did yeah. was just like, this is a rare person because she is, she is everything you see. There's nothing else there. She is, she is as kind and as wonderful as she appears to be in yeah. every way. Yeah. You know, and um, and we just grew together in a way that I could have never seen me going. You know, what I mean, she's. She is very normal. I used to be attracted to these, you know, yes. tattooed nineteen-year-old yes. psycho you bitches. Can say <laughs> yeah, it. yeah. No, <laughs> I just have never. I don't. You know, the, that's the beautiful thing about sobriety is, is that it, it works. It really, really works. You really do, despite your own self, grow. Right. But sec- that's so perfect. Yeah. You. I mean, you, you, we were joking. Like I saw you pull up in your car and whatever, and I'm like, yeah, and that's my cool car. Like you, yeah. you. Like I was so I mean I this sounds terrible but I was really cool like I was yeah. cool yeah, and damn right you were Yeah and you I were a little miss murder Yeah <laughs> God Yeah and and I was and I was cool Man, and cool gets with cool Yeah yeah <laughs> right like I you know and and I and I and in spite of my own and and my coolness stopped me from from being having the experiences that I wanted and being the grown up and and having the the my coolness stopped me from the depth I was seeking and right. um, me too because I hung around with ten or fifteen other Randys right my world was so small right because and yet I thought I was so fucking cool you know, but we yeah, were I'm full cosmopolitan guy right you know? <laughs> we were cool but it wasn't doing us any favors and like kind of it's like when you know you changed your clothes and all these things and like for me when I stopped worrying about that when I stop, like, I mean, sometimes but I'm like, you did it so well. 
You <laughs> really you. did. You, you, you know, details matter to Capricorns like us. We see these things, you know. That's why her and I are so much alike. It's ridiculous because it's, it's in the we details. We were like fire on fire. The, yeah, yeah, the devil. Like, well, wait, who's in charge? I'm in charge. No, I'm in charge. No, I'm in charge. Yeah, it's just and, like. But, but the, the devil's in the details, and we see details. Right, right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, but it, 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 it <laughs> you, I, I have turned into a woman right. that. In spite of my own trying to sabotage so many times uh-huh. that it's happened anyway. Right. And, right, right, and right. if I could. But you've done really well, though. But well, you say you. that. But, you know, I mean, even just picking up a cigarette, you know, it's like it's like for me, that's where it always starts. It's like I want a cigarette. I swear to God, it starts with a cigarette, and then it's and then because you know it's not heading necessarily towards a drink; it's a long distance between the. Yeah. Gap. Oh, yeah. I mean, it might be head. You know, that they have these little sayings. You know that you know you either there's no neutral in sobriety. You either heading towards a drink or heading away from a drink. There may be some truth to that. You know, there really might be. I can see that. For me, it would start with picking up a cigarette. Because, I'll tell you something though. I'll tell you something. Cigarettes huh? saved my sobriety last year. Yeah, you told me that. Yeah, they, told me. Like, f- like fully. Saved my sobriety, so I hadn't smoked. No, that's what they say: smoke before you drink, drink before you kill yourself. Yep, I I, I saved my sobriety. But uh, you said you only smoked one. That I remember. Year? Yeah. No, no, no. This was last year. So last. It was the neighbor. You said, "Give me one of those cigarettes." Oh <laughs> yeah, no, that we yeah that was, you're right. That was I did smoke one. No, that was not. Um, that was after the baby died. No, it was I was at, I went to a family reunion by myself with the twins, and they oh, were back east. Uh huh. And they were, they were, I don't know, like 16, 18 months old. And it was like heavy partying. The twins didn't sleep. It was, it was gnarly. And I was not, you know, I had set up this whole life. This is something that was really interesting to me. I had set up a whole life and world that was perfectly like I was pushed. I was at max, but I had it all balanced, right? Because I had built, I had, I had the childcare, I had this, I had everything balanced. And so I was at max capacity but I could operate there and I had everything in place enough to support what was going on with me, right? But if you took away everything I had, all the pillars I had built in my life to help manage that, I was I was a goner. It I was, was an absolute stick. goner. Yeah, it was, it was like a, one, one stick. stick, one yeah, stick away. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't know that, so I right. traveled right, and I travel. I I I took the show, the circus on the road, right. and I have never been this close to a drink in my life. And I had you told me that it would have been now, or you know what it was, I would have, you know not believed it. But basically, I'm sitting at a table. It's eleven o'clock at night. I've been fighting with the twins for. I have no one's been sleeping. I haven't been sleeping. There's family around. Everybody is absolutely raging, raging. And there is a glass of some sort of brown alcohol sitting in front of me. And um, I look at it. And then I hear one of the twins crying in like back in the house. And I am like, I'm either going to pick that up or I'm going to smoke. And so for two weeks, I smoked cigarettes like it was my job. And and the, and then I got on the plane and didn't smoke again. But it saved me. I mean, I it, it gave me enough relief to get to meetings while I was there. It gave me like it gave me. I needed something. I was sure. so uh, in over my head. But it. But you're right that like that's where the cigarette came in. Right? Was like yeah. it came in because I was going to drink, and I was like, I can't drink. Like yeah, I'm going to throw this away. Yeah. But what do I go to? Yeah. And you know, I just I think that the beautiful thing about program and the beautiful and thing. You know. So have you? 
Have you ever tried medication for things like situations like that where things, I mean, I don't know. I'm just asking. I'm never in situations like that. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, right. I, ever. I've never right. traveled across the country. Well, you didn't anticipate it. That's an it interesting story stupid. to me because it, you had everything in place. And that's and that's the story of my life. I got because we're Capricorns. Right. And that's what we right. do. I everything's had, in place. And we're and this is how it's going to go down. Right. You know, then you did it. And, but and I had one never, little popsicle yeah. stick pulls out of your little oh. thing and the whole house of cards The whole house ca- cards come down. Yeah, it's I fascinating. Had, I can't I, resonate with that so well. I had no true understanding of where my, of how spiritually fit I was. I had, I was not right. okay. Right. And I didn't, and that wasn't showing itself in my daily life because I'm good enough at managing, right? And you put me on a plane with my twin babies yeah. across the country in a, you know, in all the situations. And bl- t- let me tell you, I planned it out. Like I had, you know, things in pl- I, what I thought was I in place, <laughs> yeah. but it wasn't enough because guess right. what? Like I was, you know, we're well, in new territory. You have right. two little boys with you, right? You could have planned that out, and and even oh, with their with them, I'm sure you were considering a lot about them. But how do you know with something like exactly. that? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so that was one of the that was a really strong pivotal moment around my spirituality, which was like. This is the next, this is for me, I've done a lot of the work. This is the next layer of this mm. and the layer I've been avoiding. And the thing is, is that's why I bet you got to bank those hours in the program. Right. I, I, that I, have insurance. With, I have made withdrawals from my spiritual, you know, bank many times. And, and the motorcycle accident was certainly one of them because, yeah. because I mean, I was not okay for a long time. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was, yeah. I was um, eager to get back to work. I basically spent about a month and a half or two at home by myself, you know, just hobbling around a little bit. So I was even ready to go to physical therapy and, you know, and, and I, I tapped out my spiritual bank account. You know I mean? I was going to meetings. I showed up to meetings in my wheelchair. People know I, I I'm I'm gonna I get you, you know what I mean and and that's not I'm not tooting my own horn I'm saying I'm saving I, your life I got to save my life yeah you know because I want to live I'm not you know I'm I'm gonna we're all gonna pass and everything like that but but I knew it wasn't my time you know and it's like you know what's the fastest way through this and that's that's to to dive in and you got to stay with it though it's and but I understand why parents you know that's so hard for them when they got two. I mean, you got just two kids. You got two. You got They're Vikings. two. Yeah, I mean, savages. I love them. I mean, just fifty pound three year old. You know. So I mean, it's it's no joke. But we we have to we have to keep first things first. Before we close, I just want to um, touch on one thing that we both experienced that was a really was a really hard thing for us. And I think it was. I I'm curious what. Maybe it was eye-opening for you in a different way, but um, one of a dear friends, a dear friend of ours, very dear friend of ours, she decided, Justine decided that she was no longer an alcoholic. And she went out and she got in a car accident driving home and became a, a quadriplegic and at 23 years old. And was a CrossFit surfer, yoga, was had everything and was gorgeous. And um, and she became a quadriplegic uh, because – and she, it wasn't a huge car accident. It was – five miles an hour after that. Yep. And uh, she was just headed home from work and just kind of passed out. And, um, and we spent a lot of time with her trying to help her in that state. And mm. – Incredible time. It was – it was uh, – so yeah, as you said, Justine was a, a twice a day CrossFit girl, and that that you know, included the workout I did with her most mornings at four thirty a.m. 
She was um, a just an absolute pillar of strength and, and determination and 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 uh, and and capability. You know, she just she she had a very strong mind, incredibly intelligent, and um, I loved her from. The get, you know, the thing is, I love I love girls, and I, I I and I tell whoever I'm with, like, hey, that's gonna. I have a friend named Kelson who was a who was a waitress. This is a quick sidetrack, but I said I told Laura, I said that girl right there is sober, and I'm going to be friends with her. And Laura's like, fine, she knows. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I generally have. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's all. No, I know. And 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 Justine was that way, and I said I'm going to be friends with her. And she had a boyfriend named Justin. Yeah, and he's a friend of mine. And I just meant I want to be friends with them because yeah. I like their vibe, you yeah. know. And uh, and she went through that accident, and she just there was no way she was going to live that way. It, there was no way she was going to live that way. She it, gave it hell, and in the end, she couldn't live that way, and she 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 took her own life. She, um, as I understand it, anyways. Yeah, I mean, she. It was one of, I can't tell you how many times I've done that, how many times I've been like, maybe I'm not an alcoholic and just a drug addict. I can't tell you how many relapses I did have Mm -hmm. where that was the case. And um, it was one of the most profound um, examples of alcoholism that I have ever seen in my life. And what it told me was one of the things I always thought was like, okay, well, if this doesn't work, I'm going to go out and I'm going to, I'm going to die. I'm going to just die out there, right? Oh, like no. that was my, that oh, was, no. but that was my thing, right? Yeah. Like that was what I told myself when I was like, maybe I'll go out and I'll die and I'll just die out there. Cause you know, screw it. Or just have a stroke yeah. or paralyzed or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I, that was the one, it was like, Oh, you know, you don't want to die. And I'm like, no, that's okay. I can manage the, you know, that'll do. And I saw she made like a, she had a thought and made a decision. I had thought so many times. I can't tell you how many she, times. She took a job. Now, let's talk about some real talk here. She took a job in a bar and stopped going to meetings. And I'm there the whole time with my foot in her ass saying, sweetie, this is not going to work. And then sure enough, you know, she was an avid snowboarder. It's first run of the year. She she started drinking and she did the old drugs were my problem. Drinking's not. Yep. Drugs were my problem. Now, the problem's got nothing to do with the chemical agent. Right. It's got to do that you're not okay with the, in your own skin. Right. Anyway, so she goes and tears her ACLs on the first day of the season. So she's pissed about that, but she's still working down there. Well, I'd had enough. So I went down there to that bar one night with um, my friend Chuck and my friend Jason, and I confronted the shit out of her. I said, you've got to stop or something really fucking bad's going to happen. I can tell you right now, it's going to happen. I love you. I don't want to. I'm okay. Minimize, 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 rationalize, rationalize, justify all of it. And I'm telling you, you are you're in the storm. That You are in the storm right now, and you don't see it. You have to trust me. You know I wouldn't lie to you. And it was like five days later. And she was driving home and just went to sleep. And she never wore a seatbelt. And I used to get up in her ass all the time, wear your fucking seatbelt. She didn't wear a seatbelt. She went forward. The bag blew back, broke her neck. And she was paralyzed. And it was it was so tragic. Can't even believe it. It was the most tra- one of and and she, I were, and we did all these stem cell things and we, we tried oh. to help her and you know my I friend think- Charles helped her get a Charles a guy named Charles stepped up really big and got her a van yep. you know an accessible yeah. van yeah and 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 um and I was amazed I could clearly see that. Um, you have no idea what's going to happen to you if you drink and like in the most profound way. And it changed my sobriety and it, it changed my sobriety. And I'll never forget her telling me that there was a spider on the ceiling and she was in the hospital 
and in Colorado, and there was a spider on the ceiling coming down, and she started to freak out, and she couldn't, there was nothing she could do. Mm-hmm. She couldn't move. She couldn't, you know, other than yell. Like she, she had, she, the alcohol had, had taken everything from her. Everything. Everything from her. And then she, and then people would, you know, give her alcohol while she was in the wheelchair. And, you know, and eventually she, she choked, I guess. Yeah. She allegedly choked yeah. herself with food. Yeah. And um, she asked many people to help her die. Yeah. And, and I said, you have to go to Oregon and live up there for two years to do this. If you want to do the long process the right way, yeah. there is a process. But, um, you know, she's just tough as nails. Yeah. She was so fucking tough. I, I'm tougher than me by a damn sight. I mean, I mean, I just, you know, I just bow down. But, you know, but I just, that example, that example, I mean, if, if, if there's anybody out there that, you know, is engaged in recovery, I mean, if, I mean, fucking pay attention, Captain Obvious. You're not in this world because there's some, you know, some mishap. This is real. And uh, I, I used to really loathe people that would make things so intense that I would get uncomfortable. But do understand that that um, I've seen countless deaths. It's so many since I've been sober. And that's great. I've seen just as many and more recoveries. Right. But the deaths, like you said, can be very eerie. I mean, I've seen them dead on the floor. I've found a sponsor hanging one time. You know, uh, he wouldn't go to meetings. He was going to stay sober on Paxil in the in his house. And I came home one day, and the cops were there, and I walked in, and he was strung up, and it was intense. And I'm just telling you, it's a day at a time. Today's what Thursday. I'm good. You know, I'm good. Yeah. You know, I, a day at a time, and that. And I used to, I used to not like that sort of idea, but that's how I do life now. You know, and um, I can't do it any other way. I need you. I need her. I need everybody in this whole community that we live in. I need them all. I'm not. I'm not that lone wolf guy, and you know, and, you know, eagles don't flock. You know, but Randy flocks now, and <laughs> you know, it's just, uh, it's a great life. I've, I've never had it so good. And, Despite, just, I mean, I've been given so much grace because, I mean, I've made so many, as we were talking before, profound mistakes in sobriety, not knowing what I didn't know, not knowing what I didn't know and, and grateful for, you know, the insights and the, the, the opportunities. I mean, I've been given a life I never thought I would have, you know, and it's because of people like you. I mean, I, 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 I could never believe about myself that I could have the life I have, but it's the quality of the people in recovery and I'm talking quality and you're one of them. And, but I just, it's a, it's a level I just never thought I'd get to, you know, and, and friends like Justine, if I drank, I think Justine would zap me. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, she's like, no, cause she just, you know, she was an example for, so I bet you there's a lot of people out there that, that remember her and they don't drink because of what she went through. I would guess, I mean, I, I could be wrong about that, but, but what an example of somebody who made a mistake that, we could all, I mean, if you love Justine, don't drink Yeah. for her, for her honor, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thanks I adore you. I love you too. And uh, you're yeah. just amazing and, and your recovery is amazing. I love and your family. I love what you're doing with your life. It's, I mean, you know, I'm fortunate to have been one of the people that, that knew Ashley. We just drove by your old apartment over there. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I looked over and I said, oh, well, look at there. I remember going there and I, and I just remember thinking, you know, I don't know if she's going to make this. I mean, she was, you know, <laughs> you know, the priority lists were, you know, she slept in a lot and did school. 
But she slept in a lot for hours, like 12 hours. Like, who sleeps for 12 hours? You Me. Know? You I know? was sleeping for 12 hours. Yeah, you slept. <laughs> I was tripping on that. I was like, <laughs> I oh, my God. Because I've just never been, as you, you've already heard, you know, like, I'm, you know, four or five hours, big, I'm up. But um, I can't believe we're here in 2020. And now I'm moving to where you came from. <laughs> and and you're here with this huge life. And I, it's just incredible. I love how you're the kind of the ringleader, you know. I love Dak. He's so awesome. I, I, I just watch that face, and, and I think about the big life he 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 juggles with you guys, and you know his role in it. And he's he's so different than you. You know what I mean? He's yeah. like he's like. He's, I just love I just love what you guys have. It's super cool. Thank so, you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. This podcast is sponsored by LionRock.life. LionRock.life is a recovery community offering free online support group meetings, useful recovery information, and entertainment. Visit www.lionrock.life to view the meeting schedule and find additional resources. Find the joy in recovery at LionRock.life.